What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you? Doing well, Sean. Ready to get the smell bag. A bunch of questions again, kind of like always these days. So happy to have people asking asking questions, and we've got a bunch. We've got a bunch to get to. Yeah, we certainly do. And this edition of the podcast is brought to you by Buffalo Wings and Rings in London, Kentucky. You can get out to that location right out there, just conveniently located right off I-75. Uh, delicious wings, delicious chicken tenders, all those sauces that you can put on there. They have delicious salads, sides. Uh, it's one of the best places to watch a game, Derek. The thing that I like best about Buffalo Wings and Rings compared to other sports bars or sports restaurants that I go to is I can see every single TV because it's not like you've got all these dividers or these, these walls everywhere. It's, it's literally four walls with TVs just wrapped all around it. And then they have TVs hanging from the middle, from the bar, uh, just a great place to catch a game. Uh, great place just to catch, uh, just stop in and have a quick lunch, have a dinner. I don't know how many times coming back home, from UK basketball or football games that I've covered, have I stopped at Buffalo Wings and Rings in London. So uh, if you're through that area, I highly recommend getting out to that location and uh, enjoying a game or just enjoying a meal. But let's go ahead and let's jump straight into the Buffalo Wings and Rings mailbag. Let's start. We're, we're going to do this a little different, though, Derek. We we feel like we get kind of uh, repetitive with some things that we say on the mailbag. So we've tried to kind of put all this into – categories so we're going to start with football and then for instance let's say a couple of you maybe have asked the same type of question just word it differently we're going to say we're going to read off both questions and then we'll give our our answer so Derek let's start with the football side of things uh, do you have a question there that you see that you want to start with yeah we can start with uh, Keith Medley Keith gets the first question today do you think we will be back to full capacity for football games this year thanks what do you think, Sean? Yes. Full capacity, 100%? Full capacity, 100%. I do. That's do my hope. Feel? Yeah, that's my hope. I, I think it'll be close. If it's not it's not full, I, I, I think it'll – hey, it's April. Let's be optimistic. I say, yeah. Let's say, yeah, back to full capacity. Maybe yeah, maybe right. some regulations or whatever. It might not be like 2019 or pre-any year, pre-2020. But – uh. Might not have. I do think it'll be close. Yeah, might not have catwalks, anything like that. I don't know how they'll do it, but I, I do think that if it's not full, I think it'll be close to full. But I think there's a chance that even if it's not full to begin, that it could be full at some point. But it, it's going to be significantly better and different than what it was this year, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think you have to go into Saturdays as much this year. We're in if you know 
or late in a week wondering if a game's going to get canceled or not. I don't I don't think that'll be as big of an issue this year. Second football question uh, that we have here it comes from Ben. Is there a player in the next few years that's a solid five star that we could see ourselves getting that would get us to that next level of recruiting? It seems like they are recruiting at such a high level already. Good question. Um, I can't pinpoint a, a single five-star guy that I would look at um, in the coming classes and say, yeah, UK has a great chance to get them. One guy who is about to commit uh, most likely on Saturday, uh, Keontae Goodwin, he's going to be a four-star when he commits, but I could see him eventually rising to that five-star status. I think he's got that kind of – he's already close anyways. and He's right around the 50 mark right now. So he would need to climb about 25 spots to safely be a five-star. I could see that happening. Um, I would call this a pipe dream. Uh, I really don't think it's going to happen, but it's it's going to be worth following, I think. Uh, Malachi Nelson, a five-star quarterback from California, has some Kentucky connections with his family. And I believe there's at least enough interest where he might come out to Lexington and visit um, here after June 1st whenever kids are allowed to get back on campuses. So, again, not uh, – I think we have to be real with ourselves, you know, talking about a top five player in his class from California. You know, the likelihood that he comes to the U.K. is probably not very strong, but I do think he will at least visit, and I wouldn't be surprised if U.K. is on that list for a little while. And the, the next question, it, we're putting these two together, Derek, uh, because they're, they're similar. One is from Brandon and one is from Kevin. Brandon's question is, do you think we underestimated Gatewood's ability? And then Kevin asked, you all mentioned being surprised that Gatewood has a good spring. My question, why was Allen seen as the front runner prior to spring? Neither really played this fall, and Cohen hadn't even stepped foot on campus. Here's why that we – I don't want to say that we had totally entirely written off Joey Gatewood, but the reason we were so big on Bo Allen, it wasn't as much as what we had seen with our own two eyes, because what did we really see of either one of them? It was the message that was being sent to recruits. It was when they put him in that game against Vandy, Derek, and he they threw the ball in that drive with Bo Allen. That was their recruiting pitch to wide receivers, to Christian Lewis, to, to stay on board, and to others. That's what made us think that that would be the direction they would go. It wasn't necessarily the fact that Joey Gatewood wouldn't have a chance to win it, but that's what led to, to us kind of labeling Bo Allen the guy uh, but certainly what we've heard from the spring is that Joey Gatewood maybe is he's obviously been the the guy that stood out this spring. I don't want to say that we really underestimated his ability because we still don't know if Joey Gatewood's the starter is he good enough to win Kentucky football games. We don't know that. Like he might be the better of the two at the moment. I I had more or less heard through the grapevine that that I didn't know how – basically from people higher up that maybe Gatewood wasn't going to be such a good fit uh, in this offense. and, and but, but mainly going back to Sean's point, yes, like I think 100% certain that Allen was probably viewed as a future um, prior to the coaching change, I guess. So now that Cohen's there, I think – I'll just go and say this, and if you already listened to our episode of Kyle Tucker, I think he nailed it. Like, I, I think Levis is going to be the guy this fall. So, perhaps, uh, perhaps I did underestimate Gatewood. I, I thought that was a good question from Care, uh, from Kevin, and also from Brandon. It um, was, but uh, I guess where I would be most su- surprised, and maybe I shouldn't be, but 
you know, even if Levis wins the job or, or maybe Joey wins the job, who knows, whoever wins it. It sounds like Gate was going to be in that top two, though, and that would not have been my prediction. So a lot of kudos to him. Uh, obviously, he's a kid who was highly thought of out of high school. If you go by the composite rankings, he's going to be the highest-ranked kid on the roster, the whole team, this year based on where he was in high school. So the fact that he's taken to the coaching and, and he's going to, you know, he's going to leave the spring probably as a front runner. So he'll have a good chance this fall to do it, but – I'm going to stick with Levis as uh, being the guy who trots out there against Louisiana Monroe. Yeah, that, that's my pick as well. But when you're talking right now, Joey Gatewood, Bo Allen, I don't know. The big thing with Bo that we've talked about was his body and was he strong enough. Not sure how much stronger Derek he was able to get from the bowl game in January till now. So maybe you'll see that kind of progression take place going into the fall after a summer. But – Joey Gatewood's obviously, if you're talking about body and who's ready to be the starting quarterback, you go with Joey Gatewood if you're talking about the guy who's ready to take the licks and the hits in the SEC. But we were just going off of things that we were being told when it comes to what UK was pitching and recruiting. And that's what led to Bo Allen. And we also don't know this. How does Joey Gatewood look in Liam Cohen's offense? What we got to see of him in Eddie Green's offense, he looked just like every other Kentucky quarterback just about. So I don't want to just completely discredit Joey Gatewood, but uh, one more football question comes from uh, OWS here for for Mailbag. With Wimsett off the board, is there a 2022 quarterback we are on or a possibility? What does 23 look like for quarterback recruiting? Lastly, is there some sentiment that Cohen was not all in on Wimsett? I have a gut feeling Allen will be the starting quarterback at the latest by the end of next season. Well, I'll start off the top um, with the 22 quarterback, and it's it's actually going to be Dustin Wade, it sounds like. He's com- uh, assuming he commits to UK Friday, which is the expect. well, today, if you're listening to this uh, on Friday, that's the expectation is that both Wade twins are going to commit to Kentucky. As long as those guys follow through on signing day and sign, I, I truly do think that Dustin's going to get his chance to play quarterback. I don't think they're going to recruit another one. Um what is hard to predict right now is any kind of shuffling that could happen in the quarterback room between uh, the end of next season. Who, who knows if, if guys leave? I mean, that's a quarterback is obviously a spot you see a lot of guys transfer. Only one can play most of the, you know, if your team's good, you pretty much only want one guy playing. So who knows what that would mean in terms of the portal, add, adding a guy next year. That's going to be hard to take into account. Uh, but in terms of high school ranks, I do think Wade will be the only guy and that kind of leads me to 23. I've heard that basically Nelson, who I was just talking about, the five-star kid from California, I think the pitch to him will be that, you know, he'll have a pretty good chance knowing that, you know, Destin's going to get a chance to play quarterback. Whether he sticks there or not, it's it's hard to tell. He's listed as an athlete. He wants that chance to play QB. I think Kentucky will give him that chance to play QB. Um, but you think about it this way. If, you know, a kid the caliber of Malachi Nelson, I mean, I don't think you're going to be too worried about anyone who's ahead of you if you got that kind of talent. I watched that kid's film and he's, you know, the kind of kid who goes to Oklahoma or Clemson or Alabama. You know, I mean it would be uh he's almost it's almost to the point you don't even want to get your hopes up at all for a kid like that. He's he's so good. Um thinking here this last part. Oh, on Wimpsit. Uh I don't I don't know that uh that he wasn't all in on him. I, I really don't know. I, I think and this is just me me guessing. I don't know this for sure. You got to think when Cohen came in, Wimsett was almost you know he's a priority for the staff. Uh, optically, we talked about that on the show that it's rough to lose your top in state quarterback target to Rutgers. 
Um, I don't. I think Cohen would have been fine with that, but I also think you know Cohen walked into a spot where if he had his if he had his own board and could rank recruits, say he had been here last year, and then, you know, he had a full year to recruit these 2022 quarterbacks. I don't know where Wimsett would have ranked on that list. I'm sure that there was a time when, you know, Wimsett was kind of dragging his feet, not just for, you know, for Rutgers. I mean, he, by weeks, was the last top 100 quarterback to commit. So whenever he's dragging his feet, I'm sure Cohen would have liked to have, you know, sent out some offers on his own, recruited some other guys. But think of it this way, and this is how I'm seeing it. I, I think not getting Wimsett has truly allowed them to tell Destin Wade that he can have a chance to play quarterback. And if they don't take anyone else, like I don't think they will, I, I think Destin will get a chance to play quarterback. So if you look at it that way, you take that trade if you're Kentucky. If Gavin Wimsett going to Rutgers pretty much solidified a top 15 outside linebacker and then another four-star athlete to commit to your school, I think you take that all day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so big weekend coming up with uh, Kentucky football recruiting, obviously. Uh, but let's go ahead and transition to the basketball side of the mailbag, and it's it's full. I expect the mailbag to to go towards to football during football season, but right now basketball is dominating a lot of this. It's dominating a lot of people's thoughts. People standing around at the water jug right now, Derek, at work, they're, they're talking about what? What in the hell is John Calipari doing next when it comes to the transfer portal? But let's start at the the top here because uh, our buddy from Second Take, he has a question about player comparison for Nolan Hickman and does he have the ability to blow by his man off the dribble? Derek, I was just talking to you about this before we started recording. I haven't really got to watch a lot of Nolan Hickman outside of his highlight tapes and stuff. Uh, I don't really know of player comparison. Usually we would get the the summer circuit or we'd get some type of in-person viewing of him. We haven't got that. We got one game on ESPN, and he wasn't really explosive when it comes to scoring. He did a really good job distributing the basketball, which I think is what's going to be his strength is kind of playing with a pace that maybe isn't too fast, isn't too slow. He plays under control. Uh, I don't think that John Calipari will go into the season with him as the one option at point guard. Obviously, they're trying to get Ty-Ty Washington. But maybe from what you've seen on some highlight tapes, do you have a guy that he maybe reminds you of a little? No. I mean, the highlight tapes that I watched from him, uh, it was all one game, I think. He, he shot the ball pretty well that game from deep I don't you know I don't have his overall numbers maybe he was just on that night maybe he's still developing as a shooter you know he's not that crazy explosive talk like we've seen in the past with you know John Wall or De'Aaron Fox um I'm gonna guess he gets a lot of shake comparisons just in terms of yeah. if he can learn how to kind of use if you're not gonna be able to blow by someone you got to really change your speeds well I think uh, and I think he could do that. Um, does he have the ability to blow by his man off the dribble? I don't know about right now coming into college this first year. I don't think that's the kind of player that he is, just, you know, an explosive athlete. I think he's a good athlete. Um, but, you know, he might have to be more like Shea in that way. I mean, Shea was very crafty getting into the lane. And, I'm, I mean, if you go by high school rankings, they're pretty similar where they are. But, I mean, now it's it's kind of even harder to compare someone to Shea because he was kind of so good at what he did. I mean, he turned out to be a, obviously an elite freshman point guard, a very, very good player. But, you know, he doesn't remind me of Hagen's. You know, he doesn't really remind me of some of these other guys we've seen come through here. 
I don't know. No, nobody really stands out in my mind. No, and that's what I'm actually trying to find right now is maybe if someone else had a comparison, uh, not finding anything, maybe we can look before we wrap up this episode and get a name out there. Uh, certainly, I, I think he's going to be a guy that's good enough to play at Kentucky. I think he's going to do some things well. I, th- I think, uh, like Derek said, he's not De'Aaron Fox. He's not John Wall. He's not going to race down the floor and hang on the rim on you. That's not who he is. But I think he's a very, very intelligent player that will make good decisions. And I think he'll make the guys around him better at Kentucky, which is honestly, I think, what they need. Yeah. For sure. Let's go on now. Um, We've got a question here from Michael. Uh, He's got a few questions here. Do you think Coach Cal needs to change his offense more than defense? If so, why? Change his recruiting or did COVID and a shortened season cause or expose the one-and-done philosophy? What do you you think, Ron? I do think that COVID played an impact in how bad Kentucky was. Mm -hmm. Kyle brought that up on his story, on his mailbag on The Athletic. Uh, talking about, I mean, here's the thing, Derek. Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Michigan State, Kansas. Sure, Kansas and them didn't struggle to the level that Kentucky did. Michigan State did get into the tournament. Duke was playing well at the end of the year. But they all, none of them became or even were even remotely close to living up to what Blue Blood programs are. And then you go watch UCLA struggle their way through the season, and then they turn into what? Final Four team at the end of the year. I do think that COVID impacted the Blue Bloods greatly and significantly. I just think that especially, and I thought Kyle said it best, when you got guys like Cal, Self, Izzo, K, Roy Williams, they're ingrained in what they do, right? Like they do it religiously. And if one thing is off about it, Derek, they probably, it's like me when I coach. If I don't get to do that one thing, even if we end up being good, I constantly think, man, that kept us from being what we were. And we don't know what Cal's system is when it comes to the summer and the early fall and what those workouts consist of or what they get taught or, you know, put in. So I do think that that played into the struggles. But had this still been a normal season, Kentucky wasn't going very far if they had been an NCAA tournament. There were too many holes on that roster. So I don't necessarily think that it needs to be a defensive change because I think Kentucky has been better defensively in the John Calipari than it has been offensively. And I don't want to say that it needs to be an entire overhaul offensively with things they do. Like they can still do some things that they like to do that they've been successful at under Cal, but I just want to see them get away from playing two bigs a lot of the time. And you heard Oscar Shibway on Wednesday when he was talking during his interview, he threw out four out one in. And he was talking about how at West Virginia, things were clogged up. They didn't do that. Well, I'm not sure how many games Oscar turned on of UK in his year and a half at West Virginia. And he sat on the bench some this year. And I know he didn't see out four out one in a lot of times. But that tells me that Kentucky and John Calipari is committed to doing it, which is the thing that the change that I think needs to happen the most is just more skill set guys on the perimeter, better shooters on the perimeter, and then I think that's enough to kind of fix some of the issues that they've had. You just can't have dead spots on the floor. I agree with that. Um, and, and then the change in recruiting, right? Like you talked about that on the episode with Kyle. You asked him about it. Uh, is it going to go to you take a handful of high school guys, but only is it the elite of the elite from high school, or is it developmental guys? 
or do you go portal late at the end? I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Derek is trying to kill a spider in the middle <laughs> in the middle of the mailbag episode. So I just see Derek just bolt off the side of the screen. But uh I'll keep us here, Derek. So talking about what they do with recruiting, when you look at Kentucky's classes in the future, it's gonna be a mixture. You're gonna see transfer portal and you're gonna see high school route. I think that you could get to the point to where by November you have just about all the guys you want out of the high school route, and then you got those two spots, three spots maybe, that you wrap up with the transfer portal at the end of the year. So I, I just think you're going to see some things change about John Calipari. I'm um, interested to see exactly how drastic these changes are, though. But I, I do – anytime you go 9-16, and 16, you got to change something. Did you get the spider, Derek? The, yeah, for the record, I didn't kill the spider. I was able to capture it and release it, but in the midst <laughs> of doing that, my cat ran out the door. So I had to chase my cat down too, but uh, everything's good on here. Uh, I'm not going to add on anything you said because I didn't hear it all. So we're just going to move on to the next question. And that comes from Casey. Uh, I says, what do you think needs to happen for UK to be a title contender next year? No, ma- no matter what mix of guards we get, I don't see them making us legit contenders. AC, I don't think you're alone, man. I, I really don't. I think right now there's a there's a level of anxiety all across BBM when it comes to this roster. Uh, there's another question too, Derek. I think we have later that was talking about somebody just making someone feel better about it, and we'll we'll get to that. I don't know. It's so early right now that I don't want to sit here and on this date in April say Kentucky's not going to be a national title contender. But I want to give – I like what they've done in the portal, Derek. I like the addition of Kellen Grady. I like the addition of Oscar Shibway, which they got in January. I think that one kind of gets forgotten about because he was able to practice and be on the bench. But that should be wrapped into this offseason as well, in my opinion, in addition to what they're adding. Still got to wait and see who returns. Does Davion Mintz make a decision? Does Keon Brooks make a decision? If If you get those guys back and you add that experience – I think that they're just maybe a mover here from the portal away from it. I I do think that they're going to be better. What they have right now I think would be good enough to make the NCAA tournament if if Sheboy is really good and gets to that McDonald's All-American level, preseason Big 12 player of the year. If Kellen Grady becomes that consistent knockdown shooter they need, is Nolan Hickman an upgrade at point guard? Yes, in my opinion. Uh, You still have these other pieces, Jacob Toppin. I think they'd have enough to make the NCAA tournament, get a guy back like Keon Brooks. I'd, I'd elevate it a little bit further. I just want to wait and see what it what it will look like in May. But if they get a guard that can is explosive enough to make people better, and then they maybe add another shooter, I start to real I start to like what they've got. As long as Damian Collins lives up to that ranking, and if Oscar Sheboy is the dominant force that we kind of expect him to be on the post. He's the prototypical John Calipari big, which I think will make John Calipari have more success with him than he has with some other guys. So along these lines, you talked about the roster out there. This uh, question comes from Ethan. How many games does Cal have to win next season to get the fan base back in his favor? (laughs) Sean, let's say they play 31 games. That's what they normally play, right, in regular season? 31, I think, somewhere around there. That's the number I'm going to say anyway. When yeah, I it's that. 31 regular season, and then of course they get. Yeah, if they're if they're in their 
And here's the here's my answer, Derek. It don't matter to me. It doesn't matter how many wins he gets. It's where he ends up in March. That's probably where I would think because I think it's so. I think it's a very kind of subjective question, depending on what kind of fan you are or what you expect. Like to me, they won nine games this past year to change it all up. I, I would think something like. 23 and 8, you think that's too few wins? Like, I mean, people might not still be happy, but that's a pretty solid season. And what I think could be a pretty good SEC next year. I think what so, fans. I think you'll get a lot of fans who expect more wins than that. But if you're asking me, I mean, that's what I would say. If you go 23 and 8, win a couple of games in Nashville, maybe win the whole tournament, and then, you know, make a deep run in, in March. But you're probably more correct. I mean, however the regular season goes, fans want to get back to the Final Four. So they really kind of struggle a little bit through the through the regular season. If they make a run in March, I think I do think that's what's going to be most important. Well, it's like 2014. They entered the NCAA tournament with nine losses, I, I believe, and went all the way to the title game. And then people forgot about all that struggle in the regular season where they lost to South Carolina, a bad South Carolina team. Uh, it'll it'll be what. But if you're asking me for a number. If Kentucky loses seven, eight games, there's, there's fans are still going to be like, this isn't good enough. And it's probably – it's not at Kentucky. I would say for fans to really get comfortable, if he beats Duke to begin that season in the Champions Classic, Kentucky fans are right back on ship. And they're locked in. They're like, okay, I, I think the non-conference schedule, instead of saying a number of wins, that non-conference portion of the schedule – will tell the tale of how this fan base is. Does Kentucky get back, get revenge, and beat Louisville? You know, do they beat the Power 5 opponents on the schedule? They're going to have a game against Michigan, right? We'll be going to Michigan, I'm pretty sure, uh, for that trip. And then you're going to have Duke scheduled in the Champions Classic as it stands right now. I think I would say look at that part of the schedule more than looking at the overall body of work and how many games they win because it's going to be a grind in the SEC. The SEC is getting better. Uh, this could be a seven, this could be an eight, nine loss Kentucky team, but what have they done? Have they beaten good enough teams to where you at least feel good about them going into the tournament like you do in 95% of the times that they enter the tournament? But yeah, they're going to get 20-plus wins. They won't win fewer than 20 games. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say, too, real quick. Cal, you know, a lot of programs, if you went from nine wins to 20-something wins, you would be getting talked about. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Great of a turnaround it is, but you know, where Cal is not going to get credit for that is that you know, like Kentucky should never just win nine games. So people aren't going to, you know, just say, oh, what a great turnaround, because you're never expected to be as bad as what they were. Um, but, you know, 14-15 win differential, it's it's still solid. That's why I have my doubts that you can take what happened last year and then in one season become like a top five team. I don't think I set my sights that high for them um, this season, but we'll see. That's why they play the games. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. 
Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Next question, Sean, comes from Alan. Any rumblings regarding Adam Miller or Marcus Williams? And, of course, Marcus Williams is the young man who recently went into the portal from Wyoming. And he says, I personally think Ty Ty Miller would be the perfect way to cap this roster, assuming Carr stays in the draft and we retain our bigs. Um, no more rumblings than what there you know, kind of has been. Matter of fact, I don't think Williams has been linked to UK at all to this point. Uh, probably should add, though, without getting crazy sidetracked, Mac McClung, we've not mentioned that yet on the show, Mac McClung has been reached out to by Kentucky. Um, and we should note that we're recording this on Thursday evening. Yes. Just in case difficult. something happens and you hear us talk about someone who maybe is committed elsewhere, uh, we I just want to throw that in there, Derek. I think Adam Miller makes a lot of sense. We talked about that on the show. I mean, you know, and again, it might come down to what Mintz is doing for some of these guys. And Kyle talked about it on Wednesday show. If you get Ty Ty and Mintz decides to come back, I think that's probably enough. So still some still some shuffling out to be done there. But um, Ty Ty and Miller, that yeah, I think that would be. I agree with Alan here. I think that'd be a pretty interesting mix. Isn't there some buzz about Miller to LSU? Have you seen anything oh, about that? that? Oh. Uh, I don't know why I want to think that I saw that. Against. Yeah, I don't know why I saw something along those lines. But if you're asking me for Marcus Williams, I, you know, I mentioned that on Wednesday's episode that it would be one to watch. I mean, obviously, Mac McClung had been in the portal a few days, and we didn't learn until Thursday that Kentucky had reached out. So we that's the thing. Like, John Calipari, like Kyle Tucker said on the episode on Thursday, Cal is like a man on a mission right now, that he's leading all these things. Uh, like Kyle said, the, the assistants are bringing these names to Cal, and Cal's reaching out. Maybe if they've contacted all these other guards, it wouldn't shock me if maybe they've contacted a couple that we might not ever even know that they were – even talking to Derek like that's there's so many names out there now right at 1400 in the portal uh but as far as Marcus Williams no rumblings with Kentucky being linked as of Thursday afternoon Thursday evening I still think if you're asking me for if you want to ask me a confidence pick of who they add to this roster I do think Ty Ty Washington will be a Kentucky Wildcat I, I really feel like that will be a guy that gets added to this class yeah, it does feel like it's trending that way. Uh, I agree with you there. Uh, next question is from Scott. And this is in regards to our conversation a few days ago about the uh, rule changes that were proposed or surveyed, whatever you want to say. Um, I heard you guys talking about the possible rule change of resetting the fouls at the 10-minute mark. Do you think this is the NCAA's way to compensate for all the petty foul calls by the officials? College basketball is almost unwatchable at times due to whistle-happy officials. I agree with you, Scott. It can be very unwatchable at times. I don't know if um, that's the way the NCAA sees it in terms of, uh, you know, that being the way they compensate it, but I think the indirect impact of that will, yes, I, I think it 
any kind of changes in terms of foul the foul limit or resetting the fouls will help uh, will help the college basketball game for sure. Yeah, it will. And then if you throw in giving teams and giving players six fouls, I think that is where you see the petty foul calls impact the game less, you know, because then you're not – that's why people – it's frustrating when you have to watch basketball games when it's just bonus with 14 minutes to go. But it's even more frustrating to me when I watch basketball games and the best player sitting on the bench because he's picked up two early fouls in the first four minutes. That is annoying. Like that, like people pay money to go watch these guys play. They don't go. They don't pay money to watch the officials put them on the bench. And are there? And sometimes are there fouls? Yes. That's why I keep saying give them six because then if listen here, Derek. How how low how how much does the rate of players fouling out go down if there's six fouls in a forty minute basketball game? I think it go down significantly unless the, unless this just unless the officials unless, consciously I mean, think that hey I can give somebody a tic tac foul and I don't know if they think that way I don't want to say that but I would think it should go down. Consider I mean I don't know what you know what the NBA rate is I have no idea I know they play longer game and it's yeah cold, obviously so it's not like a apples to apples comparison but and that's I mean, what's always made more sense for the NBA to have six because they do play an additional eight minutes but I just think that we're at a level now with athletes and the speed of the game and then two maybe it takes some pressure off officials if they've got a six foul to work with maybe they don't you know let that block charge calls what dictates a lot uh, not sure how you start changing things with that I mean obviously they put in the arc in there which has has helped when it comes to calling what's a block and what's not because that contact is an automatic block if they're inside that but uh, very very good question Derek I sent you a picture of another one that I got on Instagram if you want to read that one if you got your your messages pulled up there because I think it was maybe a long it had something to do with rule changes I think it's a two-parter yeah we'll start with the second part regarding the proposed rule changes for two uh, do you know who asked this one? I'm not sure. It's, this is from Eric uh, Eric Lambert. Okay, Eric. Um, regarding the proposed rule changes for 2020-2021 season, if all the proposed rules go into effect, do you think that the game will eventually <laughs> require lawyers to litigate the application of said rules? <laughs> uh, well, the good news is I don't think all those are going to go into play. Um, I don't think all of them make sense, but like we just talked about, there are a few that do. Uh, going back to some other questions from Eric, he had a few here. Would you rather see UK's roster next year be constructed in a manner that is more dominant at the one position or the two? What do you think, Sean? The one, because yeah. Kentucky's best teams have a dominant point guard. And I think like, the two has pretty much already been solved with Grady or, and or if you need Allen to step in there. Like I don't think depth there is going to be a problem. No. Whereas, yeah. And I think they're still going to add another piece for the two. If Davion Mintz doesn't come back, I think they'll add another piece for the two. Uh, interested to see what that piece is. Is is it a piece that can defend? Is it a piece that can shoot the ball and defend? Um, I'm, I'm interested to see how Cal shapes this roster and molds it to fit together. Is there another part too? Yeah. Uh, what is your opinion on the chance that? And we've talked about this a little bit earlier. What is your opinion on the chance that UK picks up both Adam Miller and Tata Washington? Um. I'd say, I mean, all the Adam Miller stuff's kind of gone quiet since the weekend. So, 
we both agree that there's it seems to be right now that UK was trending for Ty Ty Washington. So obviously you got half of that equation down. And then Adam Miller, I think makes a lot of sense for Kentucky if they want to pursue him. So uh, I'll say 50-50 chance. <laughs> that they get both of them? <laughs> they get both, yeah. I, I don't know. I want to see some more from Miller, but I think getting Washington and, and – Again, though, I think a lot of stuff come down to what Mintz wants to do, but I'm assuming at this point, I just I kind of think Mintz might go ahead and leave. So I think they'll need to add somebody. Yeah, and Miller Miller to me looks the best out of all these guys they've been connected with at the two spot. Yeah, and I'll go a little bit higher just because I'm so confident that Washington will be there that I think it increases the likelihood that it possibly does happen with that being the combination that you get. Um, I'll go sixty percent that both of those guys are on the roster. Uh, 50 of that, though, is <laughs> Tata Washington. Uh, you don't tweet out an offer from UK and then just put out your list a few days later and already tell someone that Kentucky is going to be on that list if Kentucky's not at the top of the chain, in my opinion. Like, this is one that I think John Calipari – and here's the other thing, too. Tata Washington can sit there and look and see what. They need me. Yeah. There is an opportunity for me to go to be at Kentucky, play a position where just look what happened with Devin Askew. It was a train wreck this season with Devin Askew, but he played almost the entire game, every game. We got a fun one here. Uh, this is from Corey, and it has to do with the offseason coaching changes. Um, Corey listed a lot of the coaching carousel, and he asked us to to rank each of them. Um, to be totally honest with you, Corey, I don't know all these coaches, so I can't really – say for sure, but to get to your second point, and this is where I think it'll be fun, is that he asked if, if Sean and myself could give the three best hires out of the list. Sean, do you have the list pulled up? Yeah, so he, he named uh, Earl well, Grant. For the people, basically for the people listening, just any any coaching change, you know, at the Power 5, or not, not necessarily just the Power 5 level, because uh, there's some outside of the Power 5, but basically just general coaching basketball carousel to rank the three best and then the three worst hires. So I'll, I'll name the ones that he put in there. Uh, so Earl Grant at Boston College, Hubert Davis at North Carolina, Kim, Kim English at George Mason, Porter Mosher at Oklahoma, Chris Beard at Texas, Mark Adams, Texas Tech, Shaka Smart, Marquette, Mike Woodson at Indiana, Ben Johnson at Minnesota, Micah, Micah Shrewsbury at Penn State, uh, Joe Golding at UTEP, Richard Patino at New Mexico, and Craig Smith at Utah, and then obviously – he had to follow up with Wes Miller at Cincinnati and Tommy Lloyd at Arizona. How do you want to start with this, Derek? In terms of the three best? Yeah, you want to do three best first? Yeah, let's, be, let's do three best. Um, I really like Oklahoma. Shout out Joe Masato, uh, OU alum. I like Oklahoma hiring Porter Mosier. I mean, it's hard to find a – you know, Mosier obviously took Loyola to Final Four, and that's hard enough to have a run like that. And then to come back and take out the number one seed, uh, take out our number one seed like Illinois a few years later, get to the Sweet 16. I thought that was uh, a really good hire for them. Um, you want to go ahead and give one, Sean? My best one's Chris Beard at Texas. That was going to be the next one I was going to say. I wasn't necessarily doing mine in order. Oh, okay. Just, uh, just naming off three that I like. But, yeah, Beard would be on mine as well. Yeah. Chris Beard at Texas. Uh, when you're Texas and you – I mean, the fact that the state of Texas – and they don't win national championships. I know Baylor just won one. 
Uh, Texas considers themselves one of the powers, though, right? Even though that they they struggled a lot. Shaka Smart's out the door. A coach left Texas, and you get Chris Beard. That was a huge upgrade, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, as far as number two, I'm, I'm just going to go in order. Number two for me, I really like the hire at George Mason of Kim English when it comes to recruiting. Yeah, that was a significant loss for Tennessee. They've added a four star yesterday and a five star today. I mean, they, they have slowed down too much. But. but how much of that was helped too? How much work did Kim English put in there before he was out the door uh, with Brandon Huntley Hatfield, obviously, and then a transfer from Marquette? But he's a young guy too. I think he's only thirty-two. Uh, he is. Up, uh, he's kind of a rising star in this business, so he, he might is. see his name pop up on uh, some bigger jobs in a few years. You might see Kim English leading one of those Cinderella teams in the NCAA tournament too. That that's how much respect I have for what Kim English does. So I put him at number two. Who do you have? Yeah, two. Would, I mean, I, I would say one beard, two Mosier. Um, my third. It's a little harder. Um, I don't know if this will end up looking smart or not. It might not be. But I think Wes Miller probably could have been North Carolina's coach this year. And I thought after all that Cincinnati went through in the offseason with, with Brennan, I, I thought they landed on a really good coach um, given their circumstances. So I'll be, you know, obviously Cincinnati, Cincinnati's somewhat local here, just about an hour north or whatever, hour and a half from Lexington. I pretty much keep up with, with those programs up there. So I'll be really curious to see. How he does, but I also thought there were other good ones. I thought Joe Golden was a good hire for UTEP. Obviously done a very good job at Abilene Christian. Um, and then looking at this other, I can't really see too many others that that I think are standing out. So that's what I'm going to say for the third one would be Miller at Cincinnati. And I probably should have put Porter Mosier over English because you don't find many hires of guys that have done what he did at a place like Loyola. I mean, you're talking a Final Four run, another run, deep run the Sweet 16. Uh, that style of play, fun to watch. They run that Princeton-style offense. So I, I'd go Porter Mosier as my third. But if we're talking about the worst hires, I can't help but just – and I don't want to – I could see Hubert Davis going wrong and going sideways pretty quickly at North Carolina. I really could. Could I see I it working out too? Yeah, but at this, there's a lot of risk there, in my opinion. I, yeah, I would give, I would put both North Carolina and Indiana on here, and it really has nothing to do with. Oh man, I guess exactly. it kind of does. Has something to do. With, I just don't know how your programs like that, and you hire guys who have never coached a college game before as a head coach. Yep, I agree with that. I know North Carolina wants to keep it in the family, and I mean, hell, to an extent, Indiana did too. I mean, obviously Woodson is an older guy, not really, and it's been a long time since he was associated with Indiana. It's been a lot of time in the NBA. Now, I will say this. I liked some of the things that Woodson has done. Um, obviously, he, he retained some players who are thinking about transferring or going to the NBA or whatever. Some of those guys have decided to come back. I know he's got Larry – or uh, sorry, not Larry Brown. Or Yeah, isn't Larry Brown associated with him in some? Yes. Yeah, and then you got Thad Mata, too, in a role. So, like, they've hired a pretty good support staff. Um, I mean, you got to think Woodson knows the game well. How, how long he spent in the NBA, I mean – I don't think knowing basketball will be the problem and some of the other things that, you know, requires being a college coach. But I just think when you look at that level of a program like North Carolina that people would argue is the best job in the country to just promote a guy that, you know, obviously played there, was a big name there, was a big name in college basketball. I mean, being on uh, ESPN for a long time, like he's not a no-name guy by any means. It's just uh, 
I don't. I, I'm with you. I could see that being, you know, three years from now. I don't. I don't know how long of a leash a guy like that gets. You know, you kind of get a few years. So I'm gonna say the third one. Um, I don't know that I look at any of the other ones and think, oh, it's just. But Arizona's the same deal. I guess if we're gonna knock, um, if we're gonna knock. North Carolina and Indiana. I mean, Arizona is a very good West Coast school. Maybe, you know, not to the same level as those other two uh, schools in terms of winning national titles. But Tommy Lloyd, you hire from Gonzaga. So, obviously, he's been with Mark Few. Um, pretty good coach, I'm sure. But, again, you're, you're, they just seem like such big gambles for, for really good programs. They do. And I look at Arizona. I mean, what happens with the NCAA and everything there? I mean, at least you, you went to a program like Gonzaga, who has been one of the better programs in college basketball and got, a, and got an assistant coach. I at least like that. Uh, the only reason I put Hubert Davis up there is I actually thought that Wes Miller would be the better option of the two. I really did because of the head coaching experience that they had, uh, that he had there. I thought that, I think Cincinnati got a really good hire uh, there. Uh, trying to make sure we haven't missed any questions before I move on. I think there's some more that we have here in the the DMs. Just double check in. Do you see anything that we maybe missed? Oh, here's one from Ben. So Ben appeared earlier in the mailbag, and he appears again. Is there a way you and Derek can somehow make me feel better about this off season? <laughs> it's hard to get pumped up. We started off with the likes of maybe Carr, Powell, Kessler, possibly Zegs, but now after Grady, it's not only been quiet for, but sort of concerning. It's been like Tata, Tata, Watts, Hamilton, and others. I don't know. It seems like we started out hot thinking we were going to smoke this offseason, but now it seems like we're grasping for straws as far as the backcourt goes. And it, it does put off that effect, right? When you see Kentucky reaching out to every single guard that just about enters, uh, Mac McClung can be added to that list now, which I think if you added Mac McClung to the Kentucky roster, the fan base would go nuts. Like he's the type of name that would kind of polarize. When you're talking – transfer portal there's only so much you can do reed travis was a name that really ignited the uk fan base can you imagine what a mac mcclung commitment to kentucky would do for the fan base not saying that mac mcclung's going to be the savior of a 9 and 16 season but just that name and the attention that he brings the spotlight that's been on mac mcclung for his career i don't think he'd have any problem playing at kentucky no, no, I don't. I don't think you will. I mean, he's very well known. Uh, would be his third school, which I mean, it's going to be his third school no matter where he goes. But um, was you know probably the best player on this Texas Tech team. Um, fairly certain he was. I don't know, Ben. I don't know that I can say much to to make you feel a whole lot better. You know, with the guys like Kessler, I don't. I think Kentucky probably wanted him. I'm not going to say that they didn't. I just don't know that he really fit that well in the first place. So I don't really think too much about that. Powell, from what I heard, they could have had him if they chose to go down that route. They didn't. So, you know, now you just hope if he goes to Tennessee, I mean, he's going to be a lightning rod, of course. If he plays well against Kentucky, that's another thing Cal's got to deal with. But if the choice was truly between Kellen Grady and Justin Powell, I think they made the right choice to get, uh, to get uh, Grady. And then with – Carr, I mean, Carr still hasn't decided fully yet. So I know with you know with them pushing for Tata and some of these other options, I can I, I totally get where it kind of makes it seem like maybe that won't happen. But until he makes a decision, it's um, it's hard to say. But I would just recommend you know it's hard, and this is all still new to everybody. The transfer portal, trying to figure out 
what some of these offers might mean. I mean, I think just, you know, let the dust settle on this roster before, you know, getting too up or down about it. Yeah, I agree with that. And then the next question comes from Ryan. He says, UK needs to recruit guards who fit the mold of Bradley, Bradley Bill and Malik Monk, explosive shooters. Do you see any of those molds of players in the future? Obviously, after this coming season, considering there won't be any of those in the portal this season, any or and also being aware that I'm speaking of playing style, not level of player. So he's not talking that you go to get Bradley Bill, but just somebody that maybe right, has right. that skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see anything, Derek? I mean, it's hard to tell, really. For this class? Or I guess coming up in the future. I mean, we know that they're going to target really good players in the high school ranks. They're always going to be involved with the best of the best. Yeah, I mean, I like that mold for sure. I mean, you know, Monk is one of the most fun players to to watch in a Kentucky uniform. Um, But I don't don't really know of anyone, anyone coming up. But I do agree with the style of play that that for the two guard. I mean, you got to have Monk. I mean, Monk could kind of get it. However, you know, he could he could drive to the. He was just kind of a complete offensive player. He had some nights where he didn't shoot the ball that well. I was actually kind of surprised not too long ago. I mean, I say not too long ago. It's probably been a few months now. But when I went back and saw how many nights he had where he shot the ball, you know, pretty poorly overall. But then you know what I remember about him though, Sean, is I remember forty something points against North Carolina. I remember going crazy against Georgia and Rupp Arena. Basically willed UK to a win that night against the Georgia team that was not very good. Um so if that's what he's talking you know, you gotta have somebody on your roster that you can carry um in, in big games. And of course since North Carolina at the end of the year hit, hit the big shot. I mean he was a pretty fearless player. Been one of my favorite players, I would say, in the last listen, everybody was spoiled getting to watch what we did there for a while when you had Tyler Ulyss and Jamal Murray backcourt followed up by De'Aaron Fox and uh, Malik Monk and then even Shea that team wasn't as much fun to watch from what I remember but Shea was was a very good player I mean that's a it's a great run for any school three years there yeah it certainly was next question comes from Travis if Kentucky's starting lineup on opening night ends up being the following what is their potential ceiling final four elite eight etc uh Ty Washington Adam Miller Kellen Grady uh, and he has either Damian Collins or Jacob Toppin and Oscar Shebway. If that's their starting lineup, oh. you know what I'm going to say? I don't like putting a – I don't. I don't because I want to see what all the other pieces are because I think it's going to be deeper. I want to see what six and seven and eight look like because if it's just those five or six guys, I don't know. But you have a freshman point guard. You'd have two transfers on the wing, probably a freshman. I think Collins would start over topping. And then you'd have a, a transfer big in Oscar Shibway. I would say with that, I could see that being a second-round Sweet 16 team. I don't love – I mean, I know this is for the question, and I, and I think Travis's question, I mean, hell, I think there's a world where that might be the lineup. I I, I think it would be disappointing for Kentucky to lose all three of Mintz, Jackson, and Brooks. It would, significantly. So, I think you hope that at least one of those guys will be in your lineup. Um, and if, if you could those, add Brooks there at the four, I, I would I change it. Better. Yeah, and then have Collins and Toppin coming off the bench. Then I start to like about their, their ceiling going, you know, higher. Um, next question. Were you wanting to add something there? No, no, we're good. Okay, next question. I just I think that uh, I don't think that's a bad lineup. No, it's uh, not. 
but I think you definitely hope that you have a little bit more. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Uh, ne- next question, and there's three, comes from Kyle. Let's start with the first one. How does Ty-Ty compare to other past Cal point guards? Who is he most like, Derek? We've not got to watch a lot of Ty-Ty, have we? I've nothing to base this on just besides the way that his high high school profile picture reminds me so much of Brandon Knight whenever he was in high school. So that's my that's what I'm saying. Brandon Knight, who he's going to remind me of. <laughs> Brandon was obviously a great shooter. I mean, him paired with Ron Lamb was probably pretty safely the best freshman shooting backcourt that he had, right? I, I think so. If it's freshman only, yeah. And then yeah. obviously Ewis and Murray were really good, but that was sophomore freshman. Uh, next question from Kyle. If Kentucky adds both Washington and Williams, how do you feel about the backcourt then? Would you say it is set? If that if they add those two with Nolan Hickman and Kellen Grady, Dante Allen, I think it would be set. I don't think they would add another piece. Do you? Unless they maybe just want to take someone. But it, it feels like that those guys, I mean, Grady, Hickman, Washington, Williams, that, that kind of feels like it, right? Yeah, I guess where I would be interested would be the scenario that Mintz doesn't come back. You get Ty Ty Washington to commit and Adam Miller wants to come. Would you still take Marcus Carr if he wanted to be there? It's hard to say no to that guy, right? But at it that is. point, he's added a lot in the backcourt. Yeah, and we all, we should say, too, that Kentucky hasn't, that we know of, reached out to Williams. But, like, if they add two pieces – well, yeah, Williams or Carr. I mean, whoever, yeah. whoever you think might be a, a more an older point guard. Yeah. So if they add two, I still think they're going to add two backcourt pieces. I really think so, because I, I still feel like Davion Mintz is not coming back. Maybe he is. I don't know. Maybe he's just waiting to see what the final roster looks like. But his decision, it feels like they, he's kind of got to give a yes or a no because it kind of impacts what Kentucky does at his spot. Or Keon yeah. Brooks, if they add somebody over top of Keon Brooks, then I, I would, if I were Keon, I would be upset. But Mintz is kind of in a different limbo position there where what he does kind of affects what they do. Yeah, and real quick before we wrap this up, Jeff Borzello just tweeted out something very interesting, at least I think it is. He says, one note on the new NCAA transfer rule, if a player has already transferred and is back in the transfer portal, they will need to go through the waiver process to gain immediate eligibility for next season. So that would affect a guy like Mac McClung. Because I know there was some thought that if a guy had been in the portal before, but if they went now, they would still get that immediate eligibility. It sounds like it's not necessarily they would they would give him a waiver. I, I think they would. I, I think most kids will still get a waiver, but especially with Chris Beard taking another coaching job, he'd get a waiver, in my opinion. Yeah, I think. But yeah, that is, that is interesting. I hadn't even thought of that because there are guys in the portal that have been in there before. I mean, there was that one kid who, everywhere he's been, the head coach has been fired, so he's on his going to be on his fourth school. <laughs> Kyle's next question, give me four teams that have never made the Final Four but should have at some point. If he's talking about programs, and I'm, I'm sure that is exactly what he's talking about. Me and you talked earlier about this. I don't really even – I can't really think of a lot, but I could name you one. We both said it. Tennessee. Tennessee's actually Tennessee Tennessee is, is not an awful basketball program. They've had the opportunities to get there and they can't. Tennessee's had plenty of good players and good teams. I mean, that team in 2019 was good enough. Like, if you're talking about were they good enough, yes, that team was good enough to be a Final Four team. 
Uh, Bruce Pearl had a team that lost to Michigan State in the Elite Eight at the end of the game. Like, that team was good enough to make a Final Four. I'm not saying they've got, you know, a stellar basketball history, just, you know, a very prestigious team. But, I mean, they, they're they a fairly solid. For that list, you might put them at number one in terms of best programs that haven't made a Final Four. Yeah. yeah. Some other ones, I was actually looking at a story because when he asked this, I was like, I don't even know who it was. So I went and looked it up. And honestly, like, I don't really see anyone else who I just think, like, oh, wow, how have they not made it? Like, maybe, and this is probably a reach, but, like, maybe Texas A&M, they've never made one. Like, I know they had some good teams there under Kennedy a few years ago where they were pretty good throughout the year, played Kentucky in the SEC championship. Like, a pretty talented team, but I'm not sure I'm stunned that they've never made a, you know, a Final Four. So San Diego State was another one just because they've had some good players, too, and it seems like they're always in the NCAA tournament. But again, not not to the extent where I just like can't believe that they've not made one. So, what well, we think about like Xavier, they've had a good round of coaches. Yeah, you know maybe, but Tennessee definitely was top of my list. I'd have to really think. This is teams. also, dude. This is a crazy list, though. I mean, we're talking about the top programs never make the men's final four, and this has like Weber State and like Tulsa and just these really oddball teams that I don't know why anyone would think that these teams should have been in the final four. <laughs> so I'm probably not the best. Well, Creighton, Creighton's another one. Uh, Alabama was another one on there. Just some of those teams. But Tennessee was the one when I read that question that immediately I thought, yeah, thought about. And the only reason, and you you know they haven't been because they have an elite elite eight banner hanging from the rafters. Down there, I won't make too much fun of that, Derek. But uh, everything's relative for programs. I mean, that's true. That's true. I always send that picture to my friends when I walk in, though, that are Tennessee fans. <laughs> I'm like, oh, tradition. But all blue all day says, all right, random mailbag question. So we don't get to to do whether or not we're fighting a a, a bear and a gorilla this week because uh, Shane. We recorded on Thursday, Shane, so if you send in a question on Friday, we'll have to get to it on the next one. But if you could eat – if you could only eat one meal the rest of your life, what would it be, Derek? Uh, I don't know, Sean. <laughs> well, can I tell you what my meal would be? Yes. My meal would be at Buffalo Wings and Rings in London, Kentucky. And it would be those delicious wings, and I would go with the hot for heat and the garlic parmesan flavor. My experience um, when eating a lot of wings is that it's it's very good in the moment, but you just feel so bad afterwards. Like you just maybe that's why I feel awful all the time. Could be if you're. Uh, I want to say. One meal. I mean, I if I'm having to think of something I have to eat every single day the rest of my life, I, I guess some kind of pasta, maybe spaghetti with some garlic bread on the side. But that's me today. If you're asking me tomorrow, I might have a different answer for you. But that's that's what I thought of today. I would definitely take wings though. Like that that is my pick. Yeah. For my wings favorite is a solid food. Choice. And yeah, you know, solid. and the thing that and I've never been a big blue cheese fan. I've always been a ranch. But Buffalo Wings and Rings makes their own blue cheese, and I have to say that it is very, very good. And I've never been a big, very big blue cheese fan. And listen to these delicious flavors as we wrap this wrap this up on these wings. They have the sweet Thai chili, the garlic cue, the bourbon barbecue, Derek, which is an award winner of sauce for them. 
sweet barbecue, garlic parmesan, roasted garlic, buffalo, uh, teriyaki. I mean, so many delicious flavors there. You can get those on the wings. You can get those on the tenders. You can get all that at Buffalo Wings and Rings in London, Kentucky, right off I-75. I highly recommend the place. If you go, send me a picture, send me a tweet, let me know. Craig, the owner there, fantastic guy. He'll make sure you're taken care of. All those delicious menu items right there off I-75 in London. Uh, This episode is also powered by Blue Wire Pods. It's also powered by the Butcher's Pub. Two locations, one in Palmville, one in Williamsburg. Also have a location coming to London, Kentucky as well. Right there off I-75, Derek. Not far from Corbin, not too far from Millsboro. Right up your route to to Lexington. If you're coming up from the 606, I guarantee you're going to pass those locations majority of the time. So get out there to them. This has been another exciting episode of Kentucky Daily. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.